Hi everyone, so welcome to another uh, BSSH Sport and History podcast. Uh, my name is Connor Heffernan and I'm really excited to be joined here today by Lasse Jewel Larsen from the University of Southern Denmark. So Lasse has just published uh, an article called The Play of Champions Towards a Theory of Skill in Esport in the Journal of Sport Ethics and Philosophy. So I'm going to begin by asking our guest to maybe introduce himself and what esport is because it's not something that has really broken through fully yet in terms of sport history in Britain. And then maybe we can dig into this really interesting framework uh, from the article. So I'll now hand over to my guest to introduce himself and kind of the idea of eSport. Yeah, thank you, Connor. It's, it's, it's great to be here. Yeah, perhaps I can, I can sort of start out with saying that I'm an associate professor at the Media Studies, studies uh, Department at the University of Southern Denmark. And uh, I actually do a lot of uh, a lot of my teaching efforts are about uh, game design, so I have uh, sort of in-depth uh, knowledge of games and how to de design uh, design games, and um, that kind of uh, sort of opened the doors into esport, right? Because I've been playing a bit myself, and some of my students uh, they have been playing as well, and <clears throat> so we began to sort of discuss what. What is the skill concept, right? Because uh, every time you, you you speak about skill, it's oh that player he's not that skilled, or that player he he doesn't understand the the game, and and so forth. And they are throwing this word around like everybody understands what it is, and nobody really have any clear sense of, of of the meaning, right? It's it's very familiar with another game, that, another word, sorry, that that we throw around a lot. That's called gameplay. That's great gameplay, and, and nobody really knows what on earth they're talking about. Right? So, so I decided to, to dive in and, and see if I can figure out what this uh, concept of skill uh, within eSport uh, actually covers or is, or whatever you want to say. And I have to say that in the beginning, uh, sort of in the, the first drafts of this manuscript, yeah, I was. I, I actually went with a broader term, competitive gaming, instead of esport. But it, it narrowed down. And 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 the reason why I initially wanted to sort of involve competitive gaming was that I thought that it was applicable to uh, all competitive gamers, not just uh, esports people, right? Or on the edge of competition, being just this a trillion. A second uh, faster than a part of a second faster than the other guys, right? So, and then I figured out that <clears throat> uh, since I've been playing this mobile game Clash Royale, I, I, I sort of used that as my point of departure. And I, because I realized that they, wow, they had sort of this as a world championship, and they had Asian leagues, they had North American leagues, they had uh, European leagues these global leagues and <laughs> it was like amazing and about transmitting it on YouTube and Twitch and so forth. And, um, and they have commentaries and they have replays and they have interview with players and interview with YouTubers saying, oh, that was a great play and blah, blah, blah and so forth, right? Really much, they sort of staged the whole thing exactly like you stage every sporting event, right? Of course, you when you do this, uh, uh, Twitch uh, or YouTube um, broadcasting uh, viewers or the audience or whatever spectators, they have the opportunity to interact with the media uh, and not just 
look at it. They can actually type in stuff and they can comment and so forth, right? So that's a little different. I, I haven't sort of dived into that aspect as well as much as I would like to, but uh, let's see what the future holds. So this concept of skill, <clears throat> that was kind of a, uh, initially it was, it was difficult, right? Because you, you, uh, you can address it from the point of view where you focus on learning, that how to become something. And, and this becoming model, uh, I know that the, the Dreyfus brothers, they have written an excellent <laughs> sort of a competence model, a five-stage competence model from sort of a phenomenological perspective back in the late 80s. And, and it's a great model. It's, it's really brilliant. And, but it's about becoming something. And I was sort of more intriguing, in, intrigued by what sort of the, com, the, the, the concept covered what, what does it mean, right? What are the ingredients buried inside uh, the concept? And when I tried to sort of figure out what it was, it, it, it became apparent that you could sort of, you could say that it touched upon three different areas. It was, it, it, it was tied to sort of the game ontology that was the game itself. And it was tied to some sort of player epistemology epistemology, right? What does the player know and how do the players feel? And then of course there was some kind of sociality uh, associated with it. Of course you can play by your own, by yourself, but you can also play in a team. And even when you play by yourself, you're somehow tied to, to a team or a clan or whatever you want to call it, right? A guild or depends on the game. So um, diving into and understanding this um, uh, this concept, it, it, it slowly became clear to me that that I had to work with a hypothesis that, that that you needed to focus on the game elements. I mean, understanding the game elements of a game that was that was one aspect or one strand of of this. Uh, theory or whatever you want to call it, which is actually seven strands in total. The first strand is uh, concerned about the knowledge about the game objects. And the second one is insight into sort of the game system itself. And I, I want to dive into each of those points in, in just a while. And then there was a third point, and that was uh, the, concerned uh, another concept we call meta gaming. And I will explain that in a bit. And we had a fourth concept, which is uh, a Yomi, Yomi layers or Yomi layer three, as, as we discussed that it's about reading uh, the mind of your opponent that is ties into prediction. Can you actually predict or plan ahead? What is your opponent's next move and so forth? And then, you have the, the fifth element, which is uh, tied to execution. And execution is, of course, that you can that you can uh, execute whatever it is that you have planned ahead, or you're planned for, or you're trained, and so forth, right? So that you don't hit your keys on the keyboard wrong, or you don't interface with your screen if it is a mobile game, and, or your mouse, and so forth. There are certain heuristics that you you have to execute, right? And then. And then there was a, an intriguing point uh, that I 
and, and it actually arose from my own experiences and, and, and it has something to do with emotional discipline. Uh, it has nothing to do with being angry or upset or unfocused and so forth. No, it's actually a quite uh, complex um, um, emotion because it, it, it demands two things of you simultaneously. And they are sort of contradictory because one is you have to be engaged and the other one is you have to be disengaged. <laughs> so you're sort of, <laughs> you're caught between these two emotions. Uh, one is demanding your utmost uh, focus and the other one is demanding that uh, or calling upon you to be clear-headed, cool and able to respond uh, with a rational uh, response, right? And then of course the final and seventh component is uh, something about team coherency. But if we if we dive into sort of the first, uh, no, and let's, let me just say that those seven aspects or strands, as I call them, they tie neatly into a theory uh, of, of skill. And, and you, can, you can actually plot them into a sort of a diagram and say, how, how, how many points do I have on the first strand? I mean, depending, of course, how you measure it, but, but you can say, uh, am I, have I deep knowledge or is my knowledge about the game uh, really deep? Or am I sort of my strength of, uh, on execution that I'm really, I have a lot of movements uh, or that I can execute uh, smoothly without being disrupted or confused or make, a mis make mistakes and so forth. So actually on that point, yeah. before um, digging in and kind of unpacking what each of the several skill, several, seven skill components uh, are, yeah. say that 10 times, um, as well as I'm wondering, when we're looking at e-sport and sport and say quote unquote traditional sport, we, it's been done to death, you know, is e-sport a sport, you know, we have these competitive elements, we have this level of skill, we have this level of interactivity, we have spectators, depending on uh, if it's online through YouTube or Twitch, or you know, in 2019, London hosted a FIFA World Cup, which had a couple of thousand people sitting around to watch people uh, mm. play in, a, on, you know, in an online FIFA World Cup game. What are the uniquely, I suppose, different things about looking at skill in esport to traditional sport? And we talked about this before we start to record, because the medium of esport is quite different to traditional sports. I'm wondering when we're looking at say the skill that a tennis player might have, what are the uniquely challenging things for the e-sport player that maybe wouldn't necessarily factor in for the quote-unquote traditional athlete? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that's kind of a difficult question, right? Because <laughs> when, when, when you have sort of the, uh, when you have the professional tennis players as, as you present them here, of course you, you have all the development of material, right? You, you have to understand your, your racket. How does it, how does it sort of uh, the weight of it or the dimensions or how hard uh, it can hit the ball and so forth and you have the ball but that is sort of the object of uh, of course you have the tennis court uh, and one of the things about computer games is that they <laughs> they evolve or they they're sort of they're not stable in the sense that when you have the tennis court it's it's sort of the same dimensions you have the same ball roughly the same racket roughly uh, year in and year out but but with the computer games you can easily sort of 
change objects, you can remove them or you can add them. And, and there are so many of them. That is uh, also one of the issues if you have, uh, let's say the mobile game Clash Royale, you have a ton of different cards you can play. I think there's above 100 now and you have to understand all each of these cards, what, what they do. And if you're playing League of Legends or uh, Defensive Agents, Dota Tso, then you have even more uh, game objects to consider. You have 100, 200, 300, 400. And then you have to factor in their different combinations. How can, how can you combine them? I mean, when you play sort of a, a, a tennis game, you, you're not considering combinations of combining different elements into uh, what we traditionally say in computer games, combos, right? That is stacking different uh, sets of items, placing one in front of the other or timing uh, one move uh, and then having the other move coming uh, sort of right next to it. Uh, so, so that's very different from traditional sports. Uh, another thing that is uh, that is different, which is associated with with these uh, sort of constant balancing issues you have with games, is that the meta game changes, which means that uh, perhaps one deck of cards in Clash Royale or one setup in uh, in uh, Counter-Strike or in League of Legends and so forth was very sort of strong in one version of the game. They are perhaps not that strong in the next version of the game, which means that you have to sort of reconfigure your playstyles accordingly. And you have to discover the game, not anew, but almost anew each time, right? You have to figure out what does it mean when, when they, let's say for Clash Royale, they say, okay, we we have uh, reduced um, the damage by, uh, let's say, 3% for one unit. And when it's translated into reality, it means that it can, you have to, to, to combat towers in, in Clash Royale. But it means that the unit, for example, has to hit the tower eight times instead of previously seven times. And it's tied into these 3%. It's just an example, right? But but it has a lot to say when when you suddenly change your <laughs> change your entire setup because then it, it 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 perhaps that unit would be completely useless, even though it's, it's just reduced its sort of its power, uh, its its damage output by three percent, because it actually uses an entire one hit more. And one hit more translates into, let's say, one and a half second or whatever it is. And that's a long time when you're playing a computer game. Mm. So, so that doesn't work. So you have to adjust uh, to these uh, more or less unstable conditions all the time. Yeah. So on the one hand, you, you have to sort of know and be skillful of <laughs> using and, uh, all the existing uh, objects, but you also have to be mindful or cognizant of how you can use um, uh, or adopt to changing conditions, right? And that is, uh, of course, in, in many leagues, they they take this into account. They can even say you have different rounds where, where different cards or different characters, they're not allowed to participate. And then you throw the whole thing uh, on top and, and, and uh, anew and 
and say that it, it really uh, forces players to be creative at what they do, right? Mm. And actually, on that point, it's probably a good time to start uh, breaking open some of those components um, of skill and esport that you mentioned. So you talked about knowledge of game objects, insights into uh, the game systems, understanding metagaming, Yomi, which I just think is a brilliant uh, term for esport or sport in general for in terms of reading the opponent, the ability yeah. to execute, emotional discipline, and then team coherency. So maybe if you could just kind of succinctly or briefly break open a little yeah, yeah. bit about what each of these components uh, is, because I will say for people who don't necessarily work in esport, as someone yeah. who predominantly looks at sport and sport history, I just thought this is a genius way to conceptualize skill in a competitive setting, be it you know gaming or uh, on the field. So maybe we can start to unpack yeah, that a little bit. That if, if we begin with sort of the, the gaming, the game objects, it's, mm-hmm. it's because they're considered the building blocks of computer games. And, and what you, you, you need to understand that each object, it's sort of, a, it's, it's enveloped in different properties and it's uh, associated behaviors. And of course, their relationship, how, how they sort of related to each other. What can you do uh, uh, with different objects when you, when you sort of stack them together? Right? So that would be one thing. Uh, and that's it's kind of difficult because as I said, there are, a huge number of objects, right? If, if you have these 100 objects or 200 or 300 or 400 objects, I mean, it's an immense uh, mental effort to, to be uh, running that in the background. <laughs> At the same time, you're actually trying to comprehend what's going on in the screen, right? So that would be one thing. And uh, the other thing is uh, the game system itself. And because the game system is kind of the physics of, of the game. Imagine that if you're playing sort of, let's stick with the tennis uh, example. If the physics, physics change, let's say the ball moves a little faster, a little slower, it's a little heavier, a little lighter or whatever, or how it sort of <laughs> reacts to the surfaces of different courts. Then you have sort of the AI of the game system, right? It, it, it has, it, players have to understand the AI to uh, uh, sort of, they have to be extremely sensitive, uh, and it's it's almost like placing something with a pixel pre- as a precision on the screen, right? And and you can imagine that there's a ton of pixels on your screen, right? So if you have to sort of be extremely precise where you where you place your place your object, right? So that's that's one thing. Of course, you need to be precise in, 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 in tennis and soccer and, and, and other sports as well. But, but this extreme precision is, is, is one aspect. And then, of course, when, when you have this AI, it is also related to the game objects, uh, especially how it handles the different game objects. Sometimes it, 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 it can seem, okay, the object, the game object, it was weak. But if, we, if it's stacked, with another object, and you do it in the right, um, uh, in the right sort of, uh, you stack them temporarily, correctly. Then you can get an optimal effect that one object hits, and then split up a second later, another object hits, utilizing some of the effect that the first object sort of installed on the uh, on the opponent, right? And and you have to sort of time it. If if you time it incorrectly, of course, you have the second object. Uh, is, is being either too late or too far away and so forth, then uh, 
the whole thing sort of falls apart. And then you have sort of the meta gaming that I was sort of uh, I, I pointed pointed to earlier, and um, that is if if you look at it from a team perspective or sort of a if you have uh, League of Legends, let's say there are five players on each team, and you have this draft phase, and team one drafts one champion, and then there is a short window, and the other team drafts another champion. And then you draft, so we have this turn-based draft, drafting. But what happens is that when you draft the first champion, the team immediately get a sense of what the other team is about. <laughs> because that particular champion sort of ties into different strategies they already know. So uh, on the one hand, team the, the team is sort of... Uh, uh, they, they sort of saying, okay, this is the strategy we might use, but they also want to conceal it at the same time. So, so the champion they choose should be a champion that is as versatile as possible so that they can uh, sort of uh, hide their intentions to the last minute. It, it's, it's some of the, it's more or less parallel when, when you have these, uh, when you have the world championship in soccer and, and you say that, up until 30 minutes before a match, you reveal your entire team, right? But that's kind of a team boom. And then you get the entire team in 30 minutes. Of course, it's too late to, to make real changes, right? And Mesa Gaming is that not just about reading your opponent, but it is about understanding each and different, all the different ways that you can play. And then, of course, what happens when a team suddenly comes up with a new strategy altogether. It has happened a lot of times. You have the famous Zerg Rush in, in, in StarCraft 2. You also have sort of several different ways to play Clash Royale with the bridge ban. Bridge ban refers to there is sort of a dividing bridge on, on the play field. And then suddenly you simply attack from the bridge, throwing all the items you have, all the objects you have, of course, in the right order and the right uh, objects at the bridge, leaving your opponent completely uh, defenseless. And sort of applying different sort of, uh, uh, sort of play styles or configurations of, of objects. Uh, that's why we have these different objects and then you tie them together and they sort of tie into a, a, a way of playing and, and then you suddenly have this meta game. Of course, it's, it's difficult with computer games as, as we spoke about, uh, spoke uh, earlier that when you have updates, computer games, uh, these meta games, they suddenly shift, right? You, you change the balance of one object and the entire system tries to fall into some kind of balance uh, once again. So it is about finding the strongest and most vertical, com uh, versatile combination. Uh, and then of course you have this yeoman that you're so interested in, <laughs> which I also find extremely uh, uh, interesting. Uh, yomi is, is actually a concept that I, I, I got from uh, David Steeling. I have to be completely fair about that. He's written beautifully about it. And he, he's calling it Yomi layer three. And it's all about, uh, you have to predict uh, your uh, opponent's move 
but at the same time you have to play something so if you play let's say you make one move and your opponent immediately responds and say hi that move belongs to a certain meta style a way of playing so now i know how you are going to play that gives me an advantage so of course being the first player or the first one to to make your, your turn if you're into that kind of thing then you want to conceal your move force out the other player's hand say what kind of play style or what kind of deck or what kind of formation are you uh, interested in and then you have this stance back and forth trying to reach each other's intentions right and of course it's happening really fast sometimes and and, and it's difficult to, to sort of break down into small bits but when you talk to semi-professionals or professionals they all agree when you actually speak about it that yes Perhaps they're not that conscious about it. They have it sort of uh, intuitively because they've done it so many times, but they immediately respond and say, yeah, that's right. That's exactly what we do all the time. <laughs> We're trying to figure out what on earth the other player is doing, right? And trying to mask our own intentions. And then of course, force the other one to make a mistake. But, but that's every, every team or every sport is trying to do that. So, so, so we know that. So it is this dance between moves and knowing your your opponent's intentions and, and, and enforcing them, right? And then, of course, I you had uh, I, I have this uh, ability to execute, and it's it's more or less about um, if you have trained uh, certain a certain uh, heuristics or combinations, or if let's say you want to buy something in a shop in in in, in Counter Strike. You have sort of pre-mapped uh, combinations that you 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 type or you, you enter on the keyboard or mouse or whatever. Or the same goes for all kinds of games. You have these combinations of of movements, and they're and they're so rapid that they can easily be mistaken. You can have your index finger and the next finger and so forth, and they can just just switch just a tiny bit, <laughs> messes messes everything up, right? So you have to be extremely precise uh, on this execution part. And that is tied very closely to uh, a point that I call emotional discipline. And in computer games, com emotional discipline is very different from, let's say, a, a soccer match. Because when you're in a soccer match, you have this physical contact and you can yell at each other and you can, you can try to provoke each other, both physically by pushing the other player and and then saying stuff uh, you know the, the famous stuff about saying something bad about your mother and everybody is reacting and and so forth but it, that's difficult in, in computer games because you're sitting there behind your screen and you have your captain behind you if you're playing league of legends and so forth <clears throat> and and so so you don't you know it, it's difficult to sort of have this physical uh, proximity with your opponent uh, player so so it's another kind of discipline that I'm going for here and and, and that discipline is, is is actually quite a curious curious thing because on the one hand you need to be extremely engaged and on the other hand you need to be uh, somewhat dispassionate distant cool-headed clear able to make decisions where you're not sort of uh, embraced in, in, the, in the heat of the moment 
and balancing those two is, is quite, quite different, difficult. Uh, in, in my article, I, I have an example from uh, some Counter-Strike players where, where one player could say, okay, I see another player from the opponent, uh, the opposite team, and he is his back to my, 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 uh, to me, right? So I can shoot him. And then you wait. You don't go for the obvious kill. You wait. You have this discipline. You can resist the urge <laughs> to jump forth and kill because you get a sense that perhaps you can draw out your uh, opponent so that your opponent, so that you could perhaps get three kills in a row instead of just one and not thereby uh, uh, not alerting sort of the opponents that, that you're actually present uh, in the position that you have. So you wanna take advantage of that position sort of to a greater degree and being able to resist such a spontaneous urge <laughs> to just kill your opponent, that, is, that, that takes discipline. It takes, uh, you need to be cool-headed because you want to take your entire team into consideration. Where are they placed on the map? What have you trained? What have you discussed? What is your strategy? And so forth. Instead of just go for the kill. If you're playing by yourself, of course, you just you just frag the other player right immediately but when you are, when you're playing in a team you have to consider all the other players so that emotional discipline is uh, is, is kind of intriguing and then of course you have uh, the team co coherency you have to understand being a, being a team player but one of the things that i'm actually interested in here is is tied to it's actually Keltwick that's coined this mindset theory that is on the one hand you have an, an, an understanding of of a fixed mindset understanding of humans and on the other you have sort of a growth mindset right and if you have a fixed mindset you are very much into you use the words creativity like i just did uh, intelligence or talent right that would be sort of fixed uh, sort of uh, uh, not not a not abilities or but, but they're sort of tied to your person right they are unmovable or movable to to some extent but not there's not that much elasticity in it however on the other hand you have this mind uh, you have this growth mindset where you always uh, focus on hmm what can we learn from from that scenario that went haywire can can we do something different and in let's say Clash Royale, where you have a, the opportunity of, of watching your game, there are three minute games, and then you can just go into the sort of the TV section and you can re, you can watch your game and then you can analyze it. And then when you are playing in a clan, you can say, we can play against each other and we can discuss, oh, I did that move or you did that move and so forth. You have this discussion about the moves sort of a very open and forthcoming way. That would of course elevate players or the entire team would be way better if, if, if you approach <laughs> the, sort of the team aspect from that position instead of having sort of the fixed position where you say, oh, he's not that talented, he's not that uh, intelligent, he's not that great, he's, he's never or she's never going to make it and so forth. That's not really going to help anybody, right? So, so, so it's really more of this, uh, this 
growth mindset or fixed mindset that I sort of underlying focus uh, in, in in my team coherency uh, point point of view because you can you can always discuss sort of all the social dynamics uh, between players right and of course these seven strands or aspects or whatever we want to call them they can be be mapped into a sort of a neatly little diagram <laughs> you can say how skilled are you on or how how much do you or how how well do you fare on point one or point two and so forth and then you can map you can measure one player and the next player and the next and so forth and see if you uh, more or less balance all the aspects of, of what is what it takes to be a skilled team right and as someone who um enjoys playing esports but is not very good at it the idea that you know i can map it out and and, and see progress in the seven different strata is actually somewhat uh, encouraging, I would say, for future endeavors. So I, I do want to be um, mindful of your time. So I suppose as a final question and as a reminder to tell yeah. people to read this wonderful article, um, what's next in terms of, say, your own research? So you, you have what I think is a very coherent and interesting framework for looking at skill in eSport. What's next, I suppose, for want of a better uh, phrase? Yeah, there's there's two two different things. Uh, one is that I, I would very much like like to try and um, figure out a good good way to measure each of these aspects. So uh, dive into and see what would make sense, and, and should should we measure it from the outside, or should it be some sort of self-reporting, or or how how on earth should we go about doing that in a, in a way that actually makes sense? That would be one thing. And, and then there's another thing which ties very much to sort of my daily work with, with students that develop games. Uh, it has to do with the group research, sort of small teams research. Uh, how, do, how, how, do, how, how can we sort of figure out uh, sort of the, the better groups? And, and, and we can get a little help there from, from a completely unrelated area, which is how on earth is astronauts behaving when they are sort of working in small groups in a closed setting in a sort of a fixed time span. Because it very much ties into you have these teams of, of computer gamers they're sitting in some kind of setting in, in this tight little group and you have to figure out uh, what are the social uh, aspects or dynamics and, and so forth that actually works and, and brings uh, fourth, uh, the best uh, of the team. So, so I think there's a sort of a, a crossover there that could be interesting to to explore. I, 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 perhaps it sounds a little uh, out there, but but I but I think uh, there, there could be a little connection there. Well, like I mean, <laughs> I laughed when you said it initially, but then when you start to explain it, you're like, well, yeah, actually, you know, I I see a logic in that. So from esports to astronauts in space, <laughs> that, that, that was. <laughs> Yeah, it has to do with these these tight teams, right? These yeah. Small units, uh, and they are sort of closed off in 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 in, in time spans, and, and you have to figure out how on earth can they keep doing their tasks, and how can they perform them even better and better and better, and uh, inspire each other at the same time. Yeah. I mean, listen, I'm I'm sold. I'm a convert. Um, <laughs> so at that point, I'll just give one last uh, plug for the article. It's the play of champions towards a theory of skill 
in esport and that was published recently with the journal of sport ethics and philosophy Lasse, i'd just like to say again thank you um so much for taking time out to speak yeah. to us i really appreciate it and i'm sure i speak for the society and i say thank you very much yeah thank you so much for for having me Thank you.